Beyond Battle Creek is a place to celebrate all that God is doing here at Battle Creek Church, behind the scenes and right in front of our eyes. My name is Gage Johnson, and I've been given the calling of finding and sharing those amazing things that God is doing in our church. As we honor stories of people knowing God, finding freedom, discovering their purpose, and making a difference, my prayer is that you would rejoice alongside us and find your place in the bigger story of the gospel. This season on Beyond Battle Creek, we're celebrating 20 years of Battle Creek Church. Whether this is your first week or you've been with us the whole 20 years, you're part of our history. This season, you'll hear stories of people who've been part of Battle Creek from the very beginning and some that have been only around for a few years. But throughout each story, you can find the common thread of God unmistakably moving in people's lives across Tulsa. Battle Creek Church is your place to know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a global difference. Let's jump in. All right, y'all. I'm sitting here with Brennan and Miranda Seagraves. Um, you guys have been part of Battle Creek Church for how long? 2007. Whatever wow. that math is. 16 years? 16, 16 years. 16 years. Y'all from Pryor Creek, so I don't know. You're not from Pryor, though. Yeah, she's, she's from, from Pryor. Pryor. Yes. We're not going to trust her math. You yeah. went to Deer Creek, though. So <laughs> yeah, we'll trust your math. Yeah. Um, you should be able to, Edmund Bush, be able to fire that off pretty Easy quickly. money. Yeah, easy that's money. easy money. <laughs> easy money. Uh, so I wanted to join, wanted y'all to, to join us today and just hear a little bit about your story. Uh, if you know Brendan and Miranda, um, you probably know them for one of two reasons. You know Brendan is probably through FCA. Uh, this man is is everywhere at every high school campus, every college campus in northeastern Oklahoma. It feels like uh, just investing in students and athletes, student athletes. Uh, but what's your official title with FCA? I am the Tulsa area director. Tulsa area director. So how far out does Tulsa area go? Um, I think you could call it Coweta. Okay. You could call it north to Sand Springs. You could call it maybe to Kellyville. Okay. Uh, I think you could call it Collinsville if you wanted to. Yeah. Katusa. Okay. Just make a big circle. Okay. Inola, probably. Yeah, that's out there. There you go. That's that's a pretty big area. Yeah. What's your favorite high school to visit? Uh, uh, that's I'm going to put you on that's the That's a setup. I don't think <laughs> that I can. There's one right answer, uh, and it's the U. Uh, I know you love to go there. Yeah, I do love the U. I'll be honest. <laughs> if we're going to be honest, honest, like the U- Union was not one of my favorite places to be. Uh, okay. When I first started with FCA, because coming out of Battle Creek, Broken Air was probably the easiest door to walk through being at yeah. Battle Creek in yeah. the, at the Broken Air campus. But when I transitioned to FCA, all of those schools became my responsibility. Mm. But they assumed I was the ba- the Broken Air guy. And mm-hmm. so I'm still trying to break out of some of that, but that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I realize that if coaches give me a hard time because of it now, it's because they like me or yeah. because I've... I've done something right, not because yeah. I've done something wrong. Yeah. The the phrase when I was in high school is they just give us a hard time because they wish they were us, you know? Yeah. That's what they want. Yeah. They, and I'd never heard this until I started hanging around with other union people that graduated. Yeah. They call Broken Arrow a different name. Okay. Yeah. Is it, is it a little too vulgar for them? No, no, no. It's uh, I just don't love to say it because my kids graduated from Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I won't make you say it. Uh, and if you know Miranda, uh, it's, it's probably f- because she has uh, talked to you about foster care at some point. Uh, or left a meal on your doorstep or, uh, you know, something like that. Or watched your kid. Or watched your kid, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my child is at your house right now as he we is. speak, uh, you know, just being taken care of and having the time of his life, falling asleep while playing. Yes. Uh, I was telling my uh, sister this morning that uh, he only does that at your house. He will play until he is dog tired and he then fall asleep at anymore. your house. He's never done that for Karis and I. Like yep. and he never. does it on the daily. That's we awesome. just got a great video yesterday. Yeah. Kids' motor never stops running. It's awesome. 
So, man, I wanted to, to have y'all come on the podcast today and talk about foster care because our church um, just has this, this culture of foster care, right, where, uh, you know, any given Sunday you could be sitting at any of our six campuses and more likely than not you're going to be sitting next to someone who has been a foster parent, um, is currently a foster parent, or is involved in the foster care system in some way. Um and for a lot of people, they can trace that back to the Seagraves. Uh, and I, every time I talk to y'all, they're like, no, nah, I don't know if that's true. And, like, I, I swear every single story that I uh, hear about we got involved in fostering, it was like y'all's name comes up somehow. Um, there's even a couple in my community group uh, right now that are starting out on this foster care uh, deal, and they, <coughs> and they reached out to you guys. Because they're like, oh, if you if you foster in Oklahoma, you got to talk to Brendan and Miranda, because uh, they're going to be the ones to give you all the advice you need. Uh, but it hasn't always been that way, right? You guys haven't always been involved. What did that look like for you guys to get involved with foster care? Were you already at Battle Creek Church? Uh, were you like, what what did that look like to get started? Yeah, I think as we look back on wh- where that started and how it how it began was thinking through tons of different things happening all at the same time, mm. like a culmination of a bunch of different things happening to make it kind of clear to us that that was something that we were supposed to be going towards. I, I was serving with Battle Creek bivocationally as a youth pastor okay. in 2007 2000, yeah. to 2009, but I was also working at the bus plant. And so I'm nice. working 10 hours a day, four days a week, building 70 school buses a day, and they allowed us to listen to headphones. And so um, I've, listen to messages and sermons and podcasts and bot radio network and anything I could get my hands on. And I just started hearing this theme of foster care and adoption and mm-hmm. the fatherless and the orphans and how, what's our response and how should that look? And then mm-hmm. I think kind of at the same time, we had a, a home that was perfect for our four people, our two children and us. And yeah. we had this oversized laundry room for some reason. It didn't make any sense, but it was there and it was readily available. Yeah. Um, and we had a couple different instances where there was a guy in our church who uh, his wife cheated on him and he didn't have anywhere else to go. And so mm. we opened that room to him and just said, Hey man, if you could use it, use it. And he lived there for a couple months till he got on his feet and figured out what he was going to do. Mm. And then I'd say right after that, my father needed a place to stay. And so we opened that room up to him and made, put a TV in there and like made it somebody's like little small house. And yeah, so your um, first two foster kids were grown men. Where they were grown men. They were grown men. <laughs> grown men. Um, Love that. But I think that set us up for what happened right after that, which yeah. was a student in our student ministry. Mm. Um, he got into an argument with his parents, and they mm. were they were divorced, and one lived away from prior, and one mm. lived in prior, and he had the option to go move in with his mother um, mm. away from prior and not graduate from prior, or he could find something else to do. And so he came and lived with us and we were his guardians for three months until he graduated. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it was at that moment where we were doing adopted. I was listening to messages. Mm -hmm. We were continuing to open our home. Mm -hmm. And it was a moment where we said, what's our place in all of this? Mm -hmm. How, How does this, how does this transcend beyond just opening up a little small room for some people that may be in need to, how, what's our response to the fatherless? What's our response mm. to orphans? What's our response to this orphan care and foster care situation yeah. that we know is a huge in, in, we know is a huge um, issue? Mm-hmm. What's our place in that? 
Right, right. And also during that time, there were several families in the church adopting. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just watching people do that yeah. over and over internationally, mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, and for us, that was interesting. But at the same time, we didn't have $40,000 per mm, kid, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so that was kind of like, well, where do we go from here? Yeah. Um, and then kind of stumbling up upon domestic adoption mm. um, with the waiting child, you know, all of mm-hmm. that stuff on the TV all the time. And so, you know, there's kids here, but yeah. how do you get into that? For sure. I want to unpack something that you kind of skated over and that was the adopted thing. Uh, and so I, I think if you've been around our church for a while, that probably rings a bell. Um, but if you haven't been around for a while, that may be the first time you've heard us talk about this thing that we call adopt ed. Um, so what, what was that ministry is that ministry? Um, and what impact did that have on you guys? You know, when we first heard of it, it was basically an option or an opportunity for the church to be the church to people who needed it the most while they were walking through foster care or adoption. Mm-hmm. It was basically, a, it felt to me like it was a support system mm-hmm. around the issue of foster care and adoption. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the things that they wanted to do were help help people, help families that had just got a new placement in mm-hmm. foster care figure out what that was looking like. So yeah. maybe a gift card to Target to go mm. pick up some things that you didn't know you needed until a child came on your doorstep with a bag of clothes and that's it. Yeah. Um, the other thing I think that it did is it pointed out and it helped give biblical clarity to why we're, why we should be involved in adoption or foster mm. care and why this should mean anything to us as believers who follow the Lord. And I think that those were the two biggest things I took away from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think at one point it was also an opportunity for a, a low or no co- no um, no interest loan mm. on international adoptions, okay. and I know that during all that process, Alex and Meredith were walking through what it looked like yeah. to adopt from I think Argentina, Guatemala, Guatemala, Guatemala. Guatemala. Yeah. And, and then they closed it, and then knowing that that closed, and um, but it started as a, as a sermon series, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, actually uh, started as a sermon wow. series, which is crazy to think back right in this moment about the fact that they had their hearts set and prayed and felt like God spoke to them. Yeah. And then to have that completely taken from them. Mm. Not very many people understand that club of people. It's a very small club of people who uh, lose a child or pray for a child Mm. and it doesn't work out the way you want. And so we didn't understand that till we've, till we've lost many, many children Mm. uh, through, through good situations and negative situations. Yeah. Mm. So, at that point, you guys are kind of saying, okay, this is maybe something that we would love to do. You see, uh, you know, this adopted ministry kind of uh, making the on-ramp a little easier to get into foster care and adoption. Um, what, were, what were your next steps? You guys have fostered two grown men. You've had uh, a, a high school kid. And, and, again, we skated over this a little bit, but you were the youth pastor bivocationally at our Prior Creek campus, uh, which – is uh, now gone. R.I.P. Sad. R.I.P. Uh, I, we, we, our church learned a lot, I think, about planning that first campus and prior, um, and you know what it looks like to plan a campus. Um, but you got to get involved in Battle Creek through that campus, and I think that's that's a really cool uh, aspect of the story. Um, so you, you're fostering this kid, fostering unofficially, really. Um, We're just guardians, guardians for him. He's yeah. a, he's a 17 year old kid who just needs some direction a little bit yeah while he graduates yeah uh and at that point you guys think okay we can do this like we we can make this happen where do you go from there so initially i think our hearts were more directed towards adoption oh 
yeah. towards adopting a child. We had two we children had no on our idea own. what foster care was. Then. No, sure. we, no we idea. really didn't. Um, and so we put our yes on the table and we signed up to be foster and adoptive parents, uh-huh. um, which means you go through 27 hours of training, Oof. which is way so different fun. now than it was yeah. then. So we had to go to a, ho- a hotel uh, for four weekends straight, I think it was, yeah. to mm-hmm. get all of our training and all of our hours <laughs> done. Uh, and everybody felt like around that room were kinship placements, meaning mm. that they had a relationship to the child that they were now fostering mm-hmm. and, and involved with. Um, and so we were kind of coming in with a different vantage point, a different angle. Yeah. What was Just, the, some of the attitude for negative. these people? Yeah. Like, I have to be here. I have to do this. Mm. That's tough. You know, this, my family needs me to do this. Mm-hmm. But I think it did. I think some of that prepared us for the unknown things that we had mm-hmm. zero clue that were involved sure. in any of this ministry or any of this calling. Yeah, like what? Um, I, I think the heartbreak, some of the heartbreak mm-hmm. that you'll walk through, um, some of the tough conversations that you'll have, but then so much of the inclusion of other people, knowing mm-hmm. that you can't do that this on your own, that you have mm-hmm. to have a team, you have to have a church, you have to have a group of people that understand, but then also support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I think it was at that point, uh, Miranda, right? You started going to the Laura Duster shelter. Yes. Uh, with, with y'all's community group, right? Yeah. We were serving there like one Sunday a month, our community group would go and okay. just play with kids. We would take like popsicles and bubbles and all kinds of things. And they would play with, you know, all the grade school kids and stuff. And I would always sneak away to, the baby they called it the baby cottage but which obviously wasn't there for very long but um it was just full of tiny babies just sitting in a bed yeah and there was one like house mom Mm. in there trying to take care of all these kids and like I know how that feels you know and they want to be held but and so I would just go in there and rock babies Mm. um and then I started going not on Sundays just on my own time, um, just going and holding babies. Okay. So, and then one time I went and there was this tiny little baby. I called her a little burrito because she was like four pounds, <laughs> four days old, just wrapped up in a blanket. And, and I would just sit and hold her. And one day I told the house mom, hey, I think I'm going to take her home. And she said, well, you can't do that. <laughs> and I said, well, she's here. Like she doesn't have a family. Uh-huh. You know, like I can adopt her. And she's like, but she's not available for adoption, you know, which I did not understand what she meant. Yeah. I mean, she's like, she's looking for a foster home. And I was mm. like, what is that? Wow. You know, and so I called our adoption worker who we had not heard from in over a year. Yeah. So you guys did the training and then yeah. you waited, mm-hmm. you waited. Sat on your hands for a year. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. And we didn't understand why why we didn't understand mm. how the process worked we were frustrated yeah. it was half at god like half at vhs not knowing how the whole process worked but then just work just walking it out and just continuing to go and do what we knew we were supposed to do and yeah and then coming upon this opportunity at the lord Esther shelter i think it was all preparing us for it i don't think it was anything left uncovered or mm-hmm. hidden or anything like that but. yeah so you call your worker and yeah. what does she say? I just told her the situation, and she said, well, you have to be a foster parent to do that. And I was like, well, whatever you have to do. Yeah, like, the switch. switch it over. Yeah. And she's like, well, I have to do some paperwork. And, okay, great. Yeah. Like, it's not hard. Get it done. Yeah. You know, and so the next day, we brought her home. Wow. Yeah. That is, well, that's amazing. Yeah. The next day. Um, 
so that kind of set you guys on this trajectory of how, how many kids have you fostered? How many kids you had in your home? Can you even count? 48. Yeah, we've had 48. 48, 48 in how many years? 14. 48 in 14 years. Is it 14? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Y'all are getting old, by well, the way. Well, in 14 like... years since we first filled out our paperwork. Oh, okay, yes. So 14 okay. years 14 of totally actually getting kids is like 12 and a half. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I did. I had to take a barb earlier. You guys just getting getting old because <laughs> we heard you. We yeah, just moved. You on. ignored it. Okay. We just moved fair on. enough. Fair enough. I probably deserve that. <laughs> um, so, man, forty eight kids in fourteen years. You kind of hinted at this earlier, but fostering is not easy, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of work that goes into it, and you know, in the time that we have, kind of unpack what that looks like for people that haven't ever fostered before or haven't been a part of this before um but are maybe interested in getting started like yeah. what, what it looks like I, I think one of the first things to come at this subject with is the understanding that if if you call on the name of jesus that you serve somewhere in the realm of this ministry mm, that's right that that we're all called to it it's not optional um and that's not easy to to, to say to everybody but mm, it is right. the truth it, right. and so Finding that place, mm-hmm. working through it, serving in a baby room to figure out you don't love babies or that's not your calling, right? Serving yeah. in the student ministry to figure out you don't love middle school kids. Yeah. But finding out what that looks like and finding out where you can get in the parade. Yeah. You don't need to create a new parade. And so mm. I think the main thing is for everybody to realize, hey, I can be a part of this. I get to be a part of this yeah. and I'm called to be a part of this. Yeah. And so what does that look like? Now, for us, it looks a little bit different than I think most people Um I, I think that we just had to commit to say, hey, this is the lane that we're called to and that we're going to walk through and, and not knowing even what that means and not knowing some of the incredible joys and not knowing some of the incredible heartbreak yeah, or all in between. And so mm-hmm. what does that look like and how do you reconcile that every single day? And I think that that's some of what we're walking through yeah. is figuring that out and, and knowing that when you say yes, it doesn't mean that that child's yours. It doesn't mean right. that the child's... It doesn't mean that that child's not yours either. Yeah, yeah. It means that that child is a member of your family for as long as they're going to be with your family. Mm-hmm. And that if you have biological children, that they're equal to your biological children yeah. at that for moment. Sure. For sure. They're no different in the love that you shared with them because the love that you're sharing with them is not your love anyways. Mm-hmm. It's the love that God shed abroad in your heart. Yeah. And that's that can be tough too. So Karis and I have fostered before and and honestly, truly because of y'all's influence in our lives uh, and the model that you've set before us of like, this is what it looks like to foster. It's what it looks looks like to love your neighbor by fostering um, and loving Jesus by fostering. And it's it's tough because kids walk into your home uh, with, with very little uh, materially, but a lot of baggage, yeah. uh, you know, emotionally, especially, and the traumas that they've endured. Because, I mean, even if a kid has never experienced abuse or neglect to a severe extent, um, just being removed from your home yeah. is is a trauma, right? Like being removed from your biological parents is traumatic. Um, so, you know, what's it like to have that in your home, to have that amount of trauma come into your household? And, huh. and how do you how do you deal with that, uh, Marina? What, what's it like for you? first of all, you have to leave your expectations at the door Mm. because what you think this is going to be like, or this child is going to be like, 
or the attitude you have towards the bio parents does not matter. Like the bio parents are still their family and those kids still want to be with them no matter what has happened to them because that's their birth family. And so your expectations of, you know, this child should not want to be there or pity for the child or mm. anger towards the bio parents or the family or the workers for any reason is not going to serve anyone. Mm. Um, your job is to love on this child and just include them into your family. But also you have to make um, exceptions for them based on what they've been through. And so you can't always go by what your rules and traditions have always been like for your bio kids mm -hmm. um, or any other kid in your home because they all need something different. Sure. And especially during the time of the healing process. So mm -hmm. you have at least two weeks where they kind of get to just heal yeah. and, you know, kind of do what they want. And then you kind of got to break down a little bit of the rules and like mm -hmm. the traditions and the way that you do things. But at the same time, you also have to be willing to let your traditions go mm. and create new ones. Mm. What, what do you mean by, like, like what kind of traditions are you letting go of? Um, just like traditions or routines, mm. things like that, that you're like, this is the way our family does things because yeah. that doesn't serve everyone. Mm. And if your family keeps changing, then those things <laughs> have to change also. Yeah, yeah. Flexibility, yeah. in my experience, is like the biggest thing that you learn in the foster care world, not even just uh, the flexibility of like, you know, having a new child and every child needing something maybe a little different, but just like the midnight calls of like, mm -hmm. hey, we, we've got a child that needs placement. Uh, you guys have a spot for him and or her. Like, yes, but no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's always yes, but no. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's rough doing that in the middle of the night, but um, foster care is not something that's convenient ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it'd be yeah. super easy just to have biological kids and y'all have two biological kids that are grown, right? They're both yep. out of the house. Yep. They uh, have graduated high school. They're doing well. Y'all could be done. Empty nesters. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not going to say I don't think about that almost every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But instead you have a house full of kids <clears throat> that you love. Um, but it, it's, it's a, a difficult thing that God has called us to, right? Um, and and it's it's not easy. I, I think one of the things that I would say encapsulates the entire ministry of foster care is just getting in the messy, mm. getting in the deep with people and yeah. realizing that um, when you say yes to a child, you you also, if you, in my opinion, if, if you do it the right way, mm -hmm. you've also said yes to their family, yeah. at mm -hmm. least for the time being, yeah. and at least in a safe and healthy manner. Yeah. Uh, con conducive to that scenario and that yeah. situation. Yeah. So you're so, talking about relationships with biological parents, biological grandparents, aunts, uncles, yes. cousins, siblings. Yeah. Yeah. What's that looked like for you guys over the past 14 years? A really big family tree. <laughs> yeah. Um, and some, some really incredible stories that we can watch. I mean, we could we could tell you stories and we can show you pictures of the ability for us to involve some of the biological parents in our holidays and in our new traditions and mm -hmm. and having them come over and be a part of of our family since they don't have family even even the biological parents of these kids that we're having um, they don't have family and so they don't have support system and so you see why this becomes a over and over cycle that mm -hmm. you're just caught in because yeah. no there's nobody for to support them and so mm -hmm. um, we got to invite two separate 
sets of biological parents to Easter last year. Mm-hmm. Last year, I believe. Wow. Um, it was the no, fall free for all. It was fall free fall for all last year. Okay. Yeah. okay. Um, at they, church. At church. Yeah. yeah. They came to Battle Creek. We fin- we we found a way to get them all there. We paid for a hotel room for them to stay the night, and mm-hmm. um, they came to church and. Three of them gave their lives to the Lord and got baptized, and mm. like those are the moments that you can't mm-hmm. you can't dream of that God right. would let you see when you said yes to a child. Mm. And so those are super cool. Um, but it's also knowing that 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 that's now a responsibility of yours as well to <laughs> yeah. to help steward that and to help disciple that and to help connect those those people to church. And so yeah. um, one of them actually I called John Hickman and tried to get oh, really get. A family connected to to him down there at the church. And actually, oh, we awesome. no we no longer have their kids, um, but we still talk to them. And mm. now they're moving again. And so I was actually helping her find a church in the new town. Wow! Just two days ago. Praise the Lord. So, That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I think for a lot of people that would feel overwhelming to say like, oh, like not only am I inviting a child in, but I'm inviting a whole family in. How do you manage all of that? You know when when you feel like that's that's a lot to go onto your plate, right? I mean, it seems like a lot, but in the moment or at the time, like, mm. I don't know, I feel like you just kind of go into autopilot and, like, okay. all these people are in your home. and But then at the same time, like, they're, they're there taking care of their kids. You're just kind of in helping. and around. And you're helping them see the rhythms and how a healthy yeah. family operates and looks. Yeah. And, and I think it's really hard to expect – Parents who have never seen or people who have never seen a healthy model of a family and what it looks like to mm-hmm. throw them in there and say, hey, go take some classes and now you got it figured out. <laughs> yeah. right, so right. what we've seen is that it really does change the, the trajectory. It does change the mindset. Mm-hmm. It does change the outcomes mm-hmm. when you get to bring those families in and let them see a little bit of your home. And let, yeah. I mean, you want to be protective, but at the same time, you want to share what God's given you and share with the experience that he's given you and let it. Let it bless somebody. I mean, some of the things we walk through that are the hardest things in, in our lives may not even be for us. Mm. They may be so that we can walk through something else with somebody. Wow. And that's a very, very hard thing to walk through. Yeah. Um, but it's some of the deepest truth that I've come up with for as sure. I walk through this this foster care journey. Wow. Earlier you talked about uh, something that, that when I look at y'all's story that has probably had the most profound impact on me, and it was this idea that everybody – um, that claims Jesus as their Lord has a role to play in this type of ministry because it is just it's just ministry, yeah. um, and that there there's some way that you can help or impact. Uh, what has that looked like for you guys to help get other people involved in foster care, not even just at Battle Creek, but in Tulsa, in Oklahoma? Um, how, how do you get other people to to care about foster care ministry? Um, well, for me, I guess one of the things is, you know, I'm constantly asked, how can I help you? Mm. What can I do for you? How can-? And I used to just say nothing, I'm good, mm. you know, because I didn't want to ask for help or feel like a burden to someone else. Mm-hmm. But then over the years realized that I'm robbing them of maybe what God's asking them to do. Mm, yeah. Um, so then I just started saying, you know, well, you can bring dinner <laughs> because... <laughs> Um, as a mom, doesn't matter how many kids you have, but if that one thing is taken off of your plate for the day, it's like day made, yeah. you know? And so, and people like to do it. Yeah. And nowadays it's so easy. You know, they can 
door dashed or whatever. Mm-hmm. They don't even have to leave their house. Yeah. So just allowing people to bring a meal or bring you diapers or we would create um, when we'd get a child that we hadn't had either that age or that clothing size mm-hmm. or whatever before, then we would create an Amazon list and just mm-hmm. share it on Facebook. And within a day, like it's empty. Yeah. You know, and people are like, oh, I can do that. Mm-hmm. I can shop. Yeah. You know, so that's one of the easiest ways. That's awesome. That's awesome. I feel like uh, for me, again, like just sharing part of mine and Karis's foster care journey, uh, it was a lot of lessons learned from y'all. And that was, I mean, we reached out to you guys when we, you know, had finished uh, our training and everything and opened our home fully. And we're like, well, what do we do next? And uh, the Amazon list was something that you had told Karis. And I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. Like that feels, <laughs> that feels really weird to me. Yeah, to, it does. You know, create a registry essentially. Like we don't know what age kid we're going to get. We don't know what gender of kid we're going to get. Like we have no idea and we're just asking people to buy stuff. And she was like, no, this is how people get involved. Um, because she had grown up in it. She knew that people wanted to do that. And for me, it just felt so funny to ask. Um, but that's a, that's a huge part of letting people be involved. It's just extending that invitation, right? If you never invite people in, they're not ever going to be able to get involved. Right. Um, and, and people want to in, in, in some way, right? I think one of the other ways that we've seen prove beneficial for seeing long-term understanding of foster care and adoption mm-hmm. is respite. respite. Mm. And that's, that, that process has become so much easier because now you don't have to go through all of the training and right. all of the prerequisites and all of the, the legal stuff that, that is required by DHS. But now they've just allowed foster parents to take that ownership into their own hands. And, and if you would trust your own child with that, with that mm. family or that person or that whoever, then you can trust the G- you can trust a, trust a child in, in state custody with that same responsibility, and so yeah. that's opened up the doors to be able to say, hey, you want to if you want a firsthand glance at what foster care looks like, come watch this baby for three hours, mm, or come yeah. hold this baby for two hours and take him with you and take him on your errands and do whatever you do yeah. w- with your life, just like you normally would with your family. And so that I think has been a huge. Yeah a huge eye opener for lots of people that, Hey, I can get my feet wet uh-huh. and just stay in the, in the shallow end and yeah. just kick around and mess around, but still see some of the inner workings and some of the fruit and some of the, the some of the struggle even. Yeah. And a lot of them that we've asked to watch your kids are now foster parents. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, there's so. been a, there's been a time or two that I've, you know, been in y'all's house and I've seen someone holding a baby and I'm like, mm, they're going to be fostering yeah, soon. There it goes. It's going to happen. Yep. Uh, so maybe this is the last thing uh, we can talk about here and, and maybe in a, on a tougher note, but 48 kids in uh, you know, 14 years, you don't have 48 kids in your house right now, right? No. Uh, and so you've had to say goodbye in a lot of different ways to different kids over the past decade and a half. How do you manage that? like it's day to day yeah i I think i think we had to go back to our very first placement Mm. when miranda got Aaliyah, Uh her name yeah um from the laura duster shelter and she brought her home and we kept her we had her for three weeks three weeks something like that Mm. um 
and we really felt like this is our this is our thing. This was this is our adoption. Like God mm. answered our prayer in the first time. It took mm. one year for us to get a placement, but now we got a placement, <laughs> and it's over. We got it. It's it's done. It's yeah. like, look at God. Yep. Um, and God reminded us that it's not our sto- it's not our show, and it's not our story. Mm. Um, and He He found a family member related to that baby, and mm. she's with Him today. Yeah. Uh, and so that broke us. It really did. Um, somebody so fresh into that, thinking you're coming in there with this savior mentality, like I'm doing yeah. the Lord's work and yeah. I'm, we did it. And and then God says, it's not the plan. It's mm. not the plan. And so uh, we took six months off mm-hmm. of foster care once wow. once she went home and we had to heal. And then we got a phone call. And uh, they said we got a little girl named Brooklyn. And that meant something to us. Yeah. Um, and so we said yes, and, and God changed our lives through it. And she is now twelve. We're almost. She's going to be twelve. Um, and it just continues to prove that even through the heartache, even through the trouble, mm-hmm. even through some of the long, hard conversations we've had with her biological mother, still mm-hmm. she doesn't not have a biological mother. She still has a biological yep. mother. Right. Um, has still continued to prove to us that God's faithful mm-hmm. and that those hard times will come. Mm-hmm. They're going to come. Um, those pits and those valleys are present. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the moments where God says he's actually with us Yeah, in those valleys and that, he'll, that you'll hear a still small voice saying, go this way or go that way. And so I think those, I can stand on that and say we made it through that. Mm. And so it gets a little bit easier every time. Yeah. Yeah, you've seen the goodness of God right through all of that. Mm-hmm. And every time you're like, oh, okay, you know, God's God's good. Yeah. And I think partly one thing I would add to it is that we went into this with an adoption mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, and it took years to change that. Mm. I'm always hearing with foster care that reunification is the goal. Yeah. And every time I would hear that, I was so angry mm-hmm. because they deserved better. Yeah. Because reunification, by that you mean taking a foster child back with a bio parent yes. that messed up in some way. And that's why they were, but that's always the goal. Mm-hmm. That's it always, is the goal. always the goal. Um, and through that, like over the years, you know, we've had 48 kids, but we've only adopted four. Mm. And so wow. reunification is the goal always. Mm-hmm. And even that's though a high that percentage of reunification, exactly. And so, walking into this with an adoption mindset was completely incorrect. Mm. And that's what I would tell anyone else. If you're interested in foster care, then adoption is not the goal. Mm -hmm. And so just realizing that it is your job to do everything you can to support reunification. Absolutely. And when you can wrap your brain around that, it makes the letting go a lot easier. Wow. Yeah. And I think we can also stand on a, on a, on some scenarios and situations where we still have relationship with the child who was in mm-hmm. our care mm-hmm. for two to three years. And now they're back with their biological families and, and we've got to go to CC's pizza with that yeah. entire family and bring our entire family and, and just watch God show up and watch, yeah. and watch that, watch that mother come to a place of realization where she's no longer mad at us mm-hmm. because we're part of the problem, mm. but now we're actually part of the solution yeah. and there's gratefulness. Mm. Man, that's amazing. I think that uh, for a lot of people listening to this, uh, there is this fear when you foster that you're going to be doing this alone, right? Like, uh, you know, if you want to be a missionary, 
you get to go out on the field and then you come uh, and, and do your work during the day and then you come back to your home. That's your sanctuary. That's your safe place. Uh, when you're a foster parent, the home is where the work is. That's, that's where you're, um, you know, showing the gospel to, to these, these kids and bio families. Uh, and that can be really, really tough and you need people to make that work. Right. How, if, if I'm part of a community, maybe a different church, how do I get people involved? How do I get them to care about my foster experience? And, uh, you know, how do, how do I find that community? Um, I would say, first of all, there's so many Facebook groups. Yeah. Um, you run one of them, right? Yes, one of the big ones. I do. Ones. <laughs> I do. Um, and so there's so many of them. And But through that, it seems, you know, very simple. But through that, mm. everyone's on Facebook. Yeah. And it's very, very simple, um, non-invasive. <laughs> You're yeah. not showing up at people's house or, you know, a group somewhere. Um, but you learn, like, you can ask questions. You can ask for support. You mm. learn that there's people in your area that you can talk to, you can do play dates, you know, all the things. Mm -hmm. um, and then also there's in-person groups. And so mm -hmm. for me, those are huge because I don't have a lot of time. Yeah. And so the Facebook groups are huge. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, the in-person groups are great. I go to one like once a month, mm -hmm. um, just adoptive moms. And yeah. so you can kind of talk through things. But um, I would say that's probably where I would start. Yeah. Um, or a community group with people who are foster parents. I think my mind goes to some things like that, like Legacy Family Network, which is some of what you're talking about, yeah. which is a great nonprofit parachurch organization yeah. that wants to come alongside, prepare backpacks for kids yeah. who are going to mm -hmm. come into foster care uh, to hand them something instead of handing them a plastic bag. Um, I think that there's the 111 Project yeah. who yeah. was started by a guy who was on staff with me at Battle Creek at one point um, and still, I believe, attends Battle Creek. So. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's just not, it's just getting active. Honestly, mm. it's just doing something. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're the biggest fans of the latest book we read and we're the biggest fans of the last mm -hmm. show you watched. And, right. and if you found some ma amazing product on Amazon, you want somebody to know about it, you're going to tell people about it. And so yeah. when this becomes passionate about something that you love, mm. when, when you start seeing God work in it and you start seeing how you grow, but then also watching kids grow and change and, and form their their identities, uh, mm. and you get to be responsible for that. I think that that people people are attracted to passion, yeah. and so when you when you get passionate about something, there's not very many people who will hold back to come alongside or to yeah. to, to at least want to figure out why or what or how is that like that or or, or is it really like that? And yeah. So those are the couple of things I think that helped us wrap our minds around. What does a support group look like? What does family look like? What does um, extended family look like? What does respite look like? And all of those in-betweens. Well, thank you guys so much for uh, coming on the podcast really? and sharing your experiences and your story with, with foster care. Um, man, we all agree. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Love it. See you later. Thanks so much for tuning in to Beyond Battle Group. If you liked what you heard today, make sure that you like, subscribe, and share so that we can continue to do projects like this. Thanks so much. See you next time.